Oh, yes, I've got this one. <laughs> so first of all, I want to tell you a story. I call it the meat and veggie story. Uh, it's, a, it's a compelling title, I know. Very exciting stuff. Um, it really starts when we are inviting some very beloved friends around for dinner, and we have got enough meat if we cook two roasts, except there'll be way too much, or we could cook one roast and not really anyone have quite enough meat. So we decided to go with the abundant meat, and that's fine. And I was kind of treating the meat like my own children, like that, that's not very helpful when you think about the analogy. But I was really caring for that meat. I'm, I'm not a great cook these days because I'm just kind of doing other things and I can't be bothered, but I really loved on this meat. And it was crunchy and it was right. I googled how to do it properly and, and it's amazing how actually getting some advice will make your meat better. Um, but we didn't have much in the fridge or anything, so it was just kind of like just chunks of meat. And I cooked some veggies, and it was going to be a good dinner, but maybe not a great dinner. But, you know, I was pretty happy with it. And then we get a call, and our friends can't come around anymore. And so then we're left with not just a bit too much meat, like all the too much meat, um, but not very many veggies, but because, again, there wasn't really enough in the fridge. So we ate some meat, and we ate all the veggies, and then we were left with this glowing with beauty roast with no veggies or anything like that. And I'm just like, well, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? And I'd just been listening to this lovely message um, in the afternoon about doing good works and works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, and I was like, oh, maybe it's one of them. Maybe it's my good work for the night. I have some meat. Um, so me and my husband, Jade, sort of quickly prayed, Lord, just give us a good idea about like, how to get this meat to someone who needs it. Because the thing is, I've been hungry before, or we've had like nothing in the fridge, and there's been dramas and babies and stuff like that. And so we've needed stuff like that in the past, but actually just like connecting the dots between the person who needs it and getting the stuff to the person is actually complicated. And it was kind of past dinner time already, so it was looking like nothing was going to really happen. But anyway, after we prayed... I got this sense that I should call my sister, which isn't groundbreaking, but I did it. Um, she knows people who might need help, um, and so I sort of ran through all of the people who, who could do with it, and they were all out of reach completely. And then she sort of, I was pushing her a little bit, and I just said, is, is there anyone else? Can you think of anyone else before I go? Otherwise, it's just going in the fridge. And then she was like, oh, there's this family that I'm cooking for. They've had a new baby, but it's not even tea time. And they've also got, like, so many allergies and intolerances, it's never going to work. And I'm like, ha, try me. There's nothing on this thing. Uh, they couldn't eat, um, uh, what was it, onion and gluten. They couldn't have uh, dairy. And I didn't have any of those things. No garlic. Um, and so Rebecca, my sister, said, okay, fine, I'll message her. She's probably not going to want it. It's not tea time, Anna. I'm like, I know. Um, and so she messages uh, this family, and um, she doesn't hear back, and then she doesn't hear back, and we think, okay, fine, it's done. Okay, we tried. And then, suddenly, I get this lovely message. My sister says, I sent this to this family. I said, have you eaten meat tonight? And she replied, the family um, who we were thinking of replied and said, oh, no, actually, because we, had, we made dinner except the kids were really hungry and there wasn't really enough meat and they ate it all. And so now me and my husband don't have anything to go with our mash. And so I took a roast around to these people who had no idea who I was and they were like, who is this random lady with the meat? But later they messaged my sister and was like, that was amazing, we really needed it, it was delicious and um, what the heck? The loveliest thing about this story is that this is a family who um, 
the mother who's just had the baby um, has had a really terrible experience with organised religion through um, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and she left that community and was feeling very isolated and alone. Um, she is really interested in potentially um, making friends with another spiritual community, but she's also feeling very wary. And so that was this really beautiful thing where we were able to give a gift to somebody. We weren't trying to take anything from her, and it was a blessing that was really miraculous, even though it was super tiny. And it was really, really exciting, and it was as a result of just a little prayer and a bit of action. Um, so that's just the way I wanted to start tonight. And I was so excited to be part of it. I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, they had, they had veggies and no meat. We needed no veggies. <laughs> Turned into a big deal in my head. So there was once a place, long, long ago, it was a place of magic and wonder and lights and sounds, and its name was Time Zone. Am I the only one that remembers Time Zone? <laughs> Maybe I am. There's a bunch of arcade games, and when you played, you know, you had to spend like 10 bucks and you get like two tickets, and if you use like 500,000 tickets, you could get something amazing. <laughs> And um, I was never allowed to, to go to them, and there wasn't one near Bernie, so um, when we went on this big, fabulous holiday, when I was a kid, I got to go to Time Zone, and I played this awful game called Feed Big Bessie. And, um, <laughs> and I know that because I drew a picture of it in my holiday journal, and I still have it. I'm not showing it to you, but um, that's, 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 it was a big deal, and I was very excited. And I wasn't very good at it, except I got maybe three tickets out of it, and I think I got a key ring, I don't even remember. The prize was so much less important than you got tickets that would get you a prize. Like, the tickets were the cool thing. Well, the verses that I picked out in Mark are kind of the tricky ones when it comes to prayer. Um, later, we will just have a little look at the Lord's Prayer and, and some of the other things that Jesus said about prayer. But these ones I find really difficult they start off in a difficult place. Jesus cursed a fig tree and then they wandered off somewhere and when they were wandering back again, the fig tree was dead. And I'm not even going to touch that. If you want to look it up, it's, there's some interesting things that smart people have to say about it, but I'm not going to go there. Um, but the disciples are in this place where they're like, Lord, oh my gosh, you said this and then that happened. Like, I didn't know you killed things. What? Um, <laughs> and Jesus says that if you have the faith that it will happen, the mountains will pick up their skirts and then jump into the sea. Um, is Jesus saying that we're not getting what we ask for because we don't believe it's going to happen? Because that's hard. Now, the next thing is, what if we do find the secret to, to making the mountains jump into the lake? If we can squeeze out that amount of faith for anything, does that mean that we've got a free ticket to time zone and we can choose anything and we can just go and do whatever we want, and it's just like tickets raining from heaven for some people that have the magic formula? Because that doesn't seem right. I'm not going to talk about prayer that way. There's really interesting territory because I believe that prayer does amazing things happen, amazing things happen when we pray, and I don't want to diminish that because it's true. But also, sometimes we pray for things that really matter, and somehow it doesn't turn out the way we'd expect. And I'm not going to belittle that experience by saying that I know the answer, because I don't. It's not about, I believe, it's not about racking up approval from God like getting your 50 hours in your logbook. If you pray for 50 hours, you'll eventually get enough approval to get something done. 
that's not it at all. In my experience, and that's all that I'm preaching from today, I am preaching from a text in the Bible. I'm going to read a bit more Bible. I've been reading a lot of Bible in preparation, but what I really want to offer you today is what I know so far, and that's not complete, except it's the best gift that I have to give you. I don't believe that prayer is a state of consciousness or a duty or a burden. I want to tell you that when we're talking about I'm in, where am I in? I'm in a place of prayer. I believe that prayer is like a place that you go. Prayer is like a place of soil and seeds. Oh, hands. Yeah. I'm in. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, when we go to pray after it's been a bit of a, bit of a time, um, I think that it's a bit like when we go out into our garden after uh, a long sort of fallow period where we've left the garden bed to just do whatever it does all winter. And all through the winter, weeds have begun to grow where there was produce, and the produce comes out or it goes to seed and it's not good to eat anymore. And it's woody and it's very difficult to dig and the soil hardens because you're not watering it so much. So even if you've been through a really moist, wet winter, you'll still find that the, the soil is really hard. Well, I think that when we go to pray after it's been a while, it's like coming to this garden and finding a really hard, dry garden bed full of weeds. And I think that it's, it's no wonder, really, that we come to this place and there's nothing much good there because we sort of haven't been doing anything there. And, um, and I think that generally it seems like God wants us to deal with the weeds before we get started. It's really hard to pull out weeds from soil that's hard. It's kind of like you grab it and you try and pull, but it's like it's become part of the earth itself, and, and half of the time it just breaks out um, without the roots coming out, which is kind of a waste of time because it will come back. And then the rest of the time, if you do manage to get it out, it takes a long time, and you pull and you pull, and you probably hurt your hands. But when you get a hose and just sprinkle over the whole garden bed and you get everything wet, just wet, 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 soak, 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 you'll start to find that the weeds start sliding out. Um, you just, it's a bit more lubricated and you can kind of get them, all, get them all on the way out. I think that when we start to pray, we expect so much of ourselves. God shows us that there's things in our life that shouldn't be there, kind of like those weeds. And, and coming to pray is sort of like it's coming into reality, really. We're actually examining who we are and what really matters, and, and we're actually pulling that lens of eternity onto our lives, and we often don't like what we see there. And then we want to tackle it. But sometimes you just need to soak in God for a while and just let him rain on you. <laughs> and after a while, he'll tell you, that one will come out all right. Have a go at that one. Have a bit of a pull. And it might be a tiny-looking one, and you might get it, and it just keeps on going. Because sometimes things have deep roots when they don't even have very big leaves. So um, it's sometimes a really ex surprising experience sort of doing life weeding in our prayer garden. But sometimes I haven't really bothered doing the soaking. I've just come to the prayer garden and it's, it's looking pretty, pretty prickly and pretty bad. And so I get there and I go sort of spit out some things, some prayers, some things I need, I really need them, so I'm going to try and pray, except this is unpleasant and uncomfortable. I might pray for some persecuted Christian somewhere. I might ask for a relative who's sick to maybe be healed, 
and then I get out of there because it's not a nice place to be in. And look, that's, that's kind of understandable because I feel alone in that prayer space at that time. It feels like me and a bunch of weeds. Weeding's really hard work, but once you've done it, there's actually room. You've got room for seeds. Now, seeds, after you've dealt with all the weeding and you're dealing with snails and earwigs and kind of unpleasant things, you're kind of sick of things that are gross and bad and hard. So when the seeds come out, they're not very exciting. They're just little and a bit brown for your taste after you've been dealing with so much brown. <laughs> Be nice to have something else. And sometimes they're so tiny. And you put them in, and that's the end of that. When God seeds things in our life, after, especially after we've been, we're tired, we've tackled a lot of things, it can seem like kind of a non-event, like nothing's really happened. Except it has. It's momentous. It's amazing when God can get our attention enough for, for, to, to help him to clear us out and to start planting. So... At that point, I think people sometimes, and I, I know I can, sometimes get really impatient at that point. I want to see something. I want to see something now. Grow, for heaven's sakes. I'm tired. I need to see it. And that's another point where people will walk away, where there's all these seeds in there. God's helped us to weed it out. It's all ready. And then we just wander off and everything dies. <laughs> and you know what happens when you weed and you leave room for things? If you don't plant new things, the weeds come back. And, um, and some people's prayer experiences are just like that. They get the weeds out, they go, they've done all the hard work, and they don't wait to see the good things. Prayer is a place of trust, and it's a place of routine. Now, it actually happened that my attitude um, of prayer began to change because of a particular thing that I did about a year ago. What happened was... I was offered a residency, which is pretty much somebody offers you some sweet accommodation, you get to do some work in the space that you would be doing anyway, you often get them to buy your art supplies so you can kind of paint and do lovely things in a lovely place. Um, this was a vineyard, which is very biblical, so, you know, very good. They bought me delicious bacon and coffee, and it was just a great, great time, but the problem was they had no Wi-Fi. <laughs> And painting is boring and quiet, and I grind my teeth, so I need to listen to something, otherwise I'll die. Um, so usually I listen to shows, and I watch things, and um, I have music on, and I, I listen to YouTube. And, and to be honest, because I do a lot of reading for my thesis, the more garbage something is, the more I love it. You know, I'm not talking about like unwholesome garbage, but just like, you know, one of those ten hours of something singing, someone singing He-Man, or I don't know. <laughs> I'm not good. <laughs> A bad taste. But um, I decided, and it was just on a whim, really, because I had to make a decision, and I, I knew I was going there. I thought, fine, I'll bring my Bible, I'll bring my guitar, I'll download a whole bunch of podcasts on my phone, and, um, and that's, that's it. I'll pray when I'm bored, um, and so I guess I'll get a lot of work done. You know, that was the attitude. It wasn't, it wasn't holy. <laughs> um, but the most amazing thing happened when I started because I was alone there. And um, so even though I was doing eight hours of work a day, there was also you know, a lot of leisure time. And I'd almost unwittingly given God all of my leisure time. And something incredible happened because I wasn't expecting anything from him. I wasn't going with my hands sort of out saying, you know, please bless me. I really was just bored. Um, <laughs> and I realized that I was having the time of my life. 
and I was actually just really hanging on all the words of the preachers because I wasn't thinking about something else and I wasn't distracted by my phone bingling and, and just scrolling and just scrolling and scrolling. I wasn't doing that. I read the entire story of David from sort of the beginning to the end and thought about it heaps. I wrote a song that wasn't because I was trying to squeeze out a song. It was because I was praying a lot and I wanted to say something to God and I couldn't figure out quite how to say it and then I started writing it down and then I started singing it. I was sort of sleeping better than I ever had in my life. I have had a problem with sleep um, ever since there were some um, issues in my family. There was some tragedy and, and my sleep space became sort of not as good. I would often find it difficult to get to sleep and I've sort of been in that place ever since until that time when, when I would go to sleep. It was like God was still in the room with me. I'm, I know he is, but the room was full of him. And he was a quiet God who was letting me sleep. He wasn't saying anything, but he was so full in the room. It was amazing. And this is not coming from a place where I had decided that I was going to go up a level in my Christian life. I was going to bust through that brick ceiling that's in my way. It was just, it was just painless. <laughs> but the thing is, it kind of wasn't either. While I was there, God gave me a beautiful word for my future, which was wonderful, but he also told me I needed to fess up something to a friend and I needed to tell them something, which I did. And it was, it was nice. It was really, um, really great. But he was picking out those weeds at the same time that he was really spending time with me and loving on me. And um, I came out of there going, I have had the experience of prayer that I thought that only special people had. And I, I sort of couldn't believe it. But after you've seen it, you kind of can't go back. I started thinking differently about prayer. I would have a bad day. And this is all happening in the past year. I'm making it sound like it was ancient history, but it's really not. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've, it takes 21 days to make a habit or so they say. Um, so I've done a bit more than 21 days now. And my routines really have changed because I'll come home and I'll be like, oh, that was a horrible day. I, I need to pray. And it's not, I need to pray because I need to feel like I'm a good person. It was like, I need to pray because praying makes me feel better. And so I would go to my prayer space. And it wasn't the same anymore. I used to send up prayers all the time. I was a prayer. I've always been a prayer. But they were kind of more like voicemail, like, dear God, I'm, I'm having a bit of a rough day today. So if you could just be with me, I'd really appreciate that over and out. Beep. And now I was wanting to carve out space. You know, I wanted, I wanted candles and I wanted a nice evening and I, I was having to say no to things and, and, and kind of scrape out my prayer space because I wanted to have a bit more room because it was nice. And, um, and that's how I've started to feel about it. I know that God's with me wherever I go. He's incredibly portable. <laughs> but I want more room with him now. Now, this all sounds a little bit selfish. It's me, 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 really. And it kind of is. I, I've, I've learnt that praying makes me feel good, which is, you know, it's a heady thing. It's pretty great. But I don't really care because it also makes me think about other people and it kind of, I, I go in to the prayer space like a bit selfish and thinking about myself and, and, and woe is me sometimes or even I'm so great, God. <laughs> and, I, and I turn up and then he chats with me and he's kind of like a best friend, but he's also like, like a, like a dad, and so sometimes I come out of there like a very different person <laughs> because he's dealt with something in me maybe or he's, he's reminded me that the world actually doesn't revolve around this little planet here. There's actually more going on. I find that when I pray, 
I've, I started enjoying giving money more than I have ever in my life. And I'm not telling you this because I'm a, an amazing person and I want to boast. I'm just saying, it's amazing. Prayer's incredible. If you're feeling like you're holding on to your pennies and giving is hard, praying does something weird to you. <laughs> Makes it fun. So, where am I? That is the question. Trust and routine. Oh, the oh no feeling. That's right. I wanted to tell you about something that has also happened recently. I didn't really realize that I've always told God, maybe I'll do what you ask me to do. <laughs> and I'm pretty good, like most of the time, I guess I will. And like, I believe that I should keep his commands in the Bible and stuff like that. But I didn't really notice that I'd only ever given him a most of the time I'll obey you. But sometimes he'd tell me to do something. And when I say tell me, it could just be that there's something in the Bible that I'm reading and it starts flowing and I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. I need to do that. And that means that I have to do this. Or it could actually just be that God kind of taps me on the shoulder and I get this tug in my heart and I feel like I need to do something. And I used to, at those times, go, hmm, I'm feeling uncomfortable and I don't think I can do that, so thank you, but no. And then I'd move on and I would actually feel better again. I could do that. That was something that I was able to do, which is a worry, really, because now I've realised that at some point during the last two years, I have given God that blank cheque that sort of says, I will do whatever you ask me to do, which means that now, if I get the tap or the tug, I, my first feeling is, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what? Really? And I'm not saying that everything that God asks me to do is bad. Most of the time, it's good, but a lot of the time, it's uncomfortable. And the oh, no feeling, and that's what I call it myself. I really do in my head. I'm like, oh, there it comes. Here it is. I'm going to end up actually doing that. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, that's what trust is. That's just another word for trust. Because when we've given God the blank check that says, I think that you've given me enough information to show that you can be trusted, so from here on in, I'll do what you ask me to do. At that point, that's going to the garden when the seeds aren't growing. That is praying when you're not seeing anything happen, and it should be. That's going back and back and back when you're still not feeling that great and you feel like God's not very close anymore. At that point, that blank check experience of saying, if you ask me to do something, even if I'm ticked with you, I'm going to do it. Somehow, that is part of our experience of going to the garden with God. If you haven't given him that blank check in prayer, I don't know why, but it doesn't work so well. And I'm not talking about God as a machine but just that prayer relationship gets stanky. He has given us a blank check, and it's much more valuable than the one that we have to give him. We need to get in there with him and say yes, where he said yes, 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 yes to us ever since we were born. And we need to stop doing this and start really turning up and saying that, okay, I can't always hear you as much as I want, the seeds that I planted over there, my frangy panty tree's not growing and I'm mad because I wanted one. Yeah. <laughs> and you still say yes. At that point, that's when things start to happen because you keep watering those seeds that he's given you, not just the ones that you wanted. Oh. So I want to tell you just a couple of quick little stories um, before I get to kind of like my, my final bits. I want to tell you about something that happened where I was feeling really frustrated with God. I was feeling frustrated with my PhD. I've gotten through two years. 
I've got one to go, and I'm a bit over it. And um, at the end of last year, I sort of was feeling like I'd got nothing done. And to be honest, everyone was kind of posting stuff about what an amazing year they'd had and like New Year's resolutions and stuff. I'm like, shut up. I haven't got anything done, and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, and I was praying, and I was talking to God, and I was saying, to me, my PhD has turned from something that I felt like I could do into this big wall, and I don't know how to finish. And I don't know whether I'm meant to be getting a sledgehammer and knocking it down or whether I'm meant to be trying to scale it, but both seem impossible. And I called up my sister after I'd had that prayer time. And um, I, t I kind of was just ranting. And I said that to her, that same thing. And she said, oh, I know the answer. <laughs> I'm like, no, you don't. What are you talking about? It's an analogy. And she's like, no, there's this lovely book called Hind's Feet in High Places. Read it, guys. It's really sweet. It's very helpful if you're going through something hard or if you're just wanting to know what, what a spiritual journey looks like. Really lovely. It's very old. It's kind of daggy, but it's cool. Um, but there's this bit where she gets to this blank wall and she doesn't know what to do about it and there's no way to get across, except in the end, she perseveres and she trusts um, the God figure in the story and it turns out that there is a pathway and it's not really a wall. It is just a very steep incline and there is a way up. And she said, there's a pathway. There's a pathway up the wall. And I went, oh, cool, thanks for that. Well, that's good to know. Um, and then later that night, I got a call from my supervisor, which never happens. It was too late for phone calls, really. I don't get any phone calls at the time that I got the phone call. And it was my supervisor who had the burning desire to tell me, among other things, that he knew what I should do to finish. <laughs> He's like, you need to retool your question because it's got some issues with this sort of thing and that sort of thing. I think you need to do this, that, this, that. He was really prescriptive. He actually said, I think that if you did like an eight meter long painting that was maybe... I don't know, 1.2 metres high and maybe like a 7 metre long painting that's maybe like... He had all the measurements and he's just like, you, you, you could do this and that, that's a great way that you could finish. And so I went, thanks, sounds good. <laughs> and it was just a bit amazing to me because the, the advice was good, it's what I needed and it's what I was asking for like 10 minutes ago and it never happens. You never get your supervisors coming and answering all your problems, like especially in ways that you actually like. Um, it was incredible and that was just such a direct answer to prayer but it wasn't even just prayer, it was a heart cry. It was a heart cry where I didn't even know the answer but he actually answered it anyway through two different people. It was really beautiful. I had another experience also to do with painting um, where I did a painting for this immensely, ridiculously prestigious thing that may or may not happen. But I was invited to be part of it and all of the names were like up here and like my reputation's like down here. I'm an emerging artist, which, you know, some emerging artists get stuck in the cocoon and never come out, so it's not like, <laughs> it's not a shoo-in. Um, but I got, to, I got to go along with it. And finally, when everything was about to launch to the next level, my painting got kicked out. I didn't want it. I hadn't really understood the, the project, and so I was doing something kind of just arty and however I wanted, and I interpreted it in a very personal way, and actually they wanted something very specific that I could have never actually known. But I was gutted. I'd gone from feeling like up here to just... It's horrible, awful feeling. And I prayed about it, and I heard God say to me so clearly, watch me turn it into victory. And I just... I believed him. And after that, the people who had kicked me out talked to me 
there was a guy with a double degree in what I needed to know about, and so he was actually coaching me in, in war history and, and old uniforms and what the American uniforms and the Australian uniforms, that's something to do with war. And um, he was emailing me nearly daily. I was doing him sketches, and they were picking out the ones they liked and the ones they didn't like, and in the back of my head, I'm like, this is crazy. I'm way out of my depth. I should have just let them boot me out and stayed out because I don't deserve to be here, and I also don't know what I'm doing. Well, I just kept on going because even though it felt like I shouldn't be doing it and I should have, like, piked, I just knew that I was meant to keep going. And I'm back in and hopefully it's going to go through and I can't tell you what it is yet, but God's turned it into victory. I still shouldn't be there, but he somehow got me through and the painting I've done is good. And I'm, I'm really learning to listen when he says things like that because I... All wisdom, all earthly wisdom should have said, just understand that you weren't where you belonged. So, my two last points, I'm just going to stick together because I've rambled a bit more than I meant to, but prayer is a place for friendship. We're not there to get things from God, although we do, we absolutely do. It just keeps growing and growing and it becomes beautiful and it may not be what we had in mind and there may be places in that garden where you've planted something that's died. And it's, I can't tell you why that happened. And I'm so sorry. That's awful. And in this world, we're not always going to get the things that we planted. And I don't know why not, because God gave us some beautiful promises about our faith, about what could happen when we pray. But I do know that when I didn't pray, I didn't see nothing. <laughs> and when I started praying, my prayer spaces started to look like that. And I've persevered. And I know that compared to some people that have been doing it their whole lives, I don't even know what their prayer space looks like, the botanical gardens. Mine's just like, you know, a veggie patch. But I love it because God's there. And he's my friend. And he's always the most beautiful person there. And what struck me kind of at the end of all this is that my prayer space may be a little weedier than the botanical gardens, perfect Christian, you know, people that really are out there. There's some beautiful people out there that love God so much you wouldn't believe it. And I'm not there yet. I'm not saying I'm there yet. But God's in their garden and God's in my garden and he comes to meet me just like he comes to meet them. And actually, if there's a prisoner on death row, he comes to meet them in their garden too. It actually doesn't matter really about the trimmings. It actually matters who's in the garden waiting for you. And um, the rest of it's kind of just frills. It's good to have a nice life and it's good to have blessings. It's good to see God do good things. But it's a place you go where he meets you there. And that friendship starts to matter more than anything in his hands. It starts to be the thing that really keeps us alive and keeps us at things. So I'm going to offer you a challenge. I'm going to, oh yeah, prayer is a place to find abundance. That's the last thing. Lots of veggies come out of the veggie garden. And that's fairly self-explanatory. So what I want you to do, I've got a challenge for you. Find a partner if you can, but do it on your own if you need to. For a week, delete every app that steals your attention and, and kid, kidnaps you into scroll town. Get rid of everything that you can. I'm not saying things that you actually have to have for your work or for your well-being, but I'm just saying whatever you can get rid of for a week, just do it. I want you to just carve aside as much spare time as you can possibly do and give all of it to God, just for a week. 
And this is not something that you can do all the time, so I don't want you to feel convicted if you actually try this and you can't actually do as much as you wanted. Just give him as much as you can for a week. Go there, even if you're not hearing, just go to that position of prayer. You can sing, you can play guitar, you can write, you can draw, but just as long as it's in the garden beside him. Listen to him, pray to him, and then go back to your partner and talk about what happened, because I promise you it is not nothing. Next, you need to forgive in your prayer place, okay? Every time Jesus talks about prayer, it seems like forgiveness crops up. I can't promise you on that, but it's at least twice, and it's kind of random. He talks about prayer, then he says, you better forgive people. It's important. So if you're holding a grudge against someone, please, you need to forgive them, because that is just the doorway to having a garden that has got room for something good in it. Unforgiveness is, is, is no good. The last thing, give God the blank check. Say yes in advance. And, and in fact, that's not the hard part. The hard part is after he calls you on it. So you'll say yes, and then he'll call you on it. Now, I promise you, it'll probably be something you don't want to do. But if you do it, it'll be good. And that's a promise for me. <laughs> okay, so if this is at all... Um, stirred your heart, and if you want to participate, or if anything there is something that you would want me to pray over, if you could just stand in your seats. Uh, stand in your seats. You know what I mean. Get up. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to real quick pray for you, and while I do that, if your worship team wants to get up, and um, if you've stood up as, at the same time, I saw you there. So look, Father God, I just want to pray so much for everyone who's standing and, if, and, and, and everyone who's not, but Lord, especially those people that are standing, I pray that you would just really give them a beautiful experience of, of time with you, Lord, that they would go to the garden to be with you, go to their prayer space, that you would meet them and something beautiful would happen. I pray against the, the, the conviction or, or the guilt that comes from, from sometimes not feeling good enough to pray or not knowing whether you're doing it right, Lord. I just pray a blessing over each one here that we would just be so assured that you've come to meet us, that you love us and that you want to bless us, that the prayer space is good and that you've come to meet us. I pray that everyone's prayer life that is standing is as much better as mine was, as mine is now than it was last year. Lord, I pray that that happens to them, that you do the same thing in them that you've done in me and that you would just continue to move us all towards you, that our prayer spaces would grow and that other people would just be blessed by the abundance coming out of our prayer space. Um, now, very, very quickly, is there anyone who doesn't know um, Jesus and hasn't accepted him as their Lord and Saviour? Um, ever that wants to do that now? Is there anyone who wants to experience a prayer space for the first time? Well, Lord, thank you so much that you are so good, that we are so blessed, so fortunate, <laughs> if I'm allowed to use that word, that you love us and that you are so kind. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to love to pray and that we would be good friends of you just as you've been a perfect friend to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>